Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Great Scott Show on a Friday. How's everybody feeling? Here in April, at borderline spring weather, are you going to get it or not? Is it going to feel summery? Either way, it's a great time of year for sports. It's a Friday. It's a give me all you got Friday. Got plenty in store for you this morning. We're going to talk some college baseball, a little softball later on in the 8 o'clock hour. Saints and Pelicans correspondent Gus Cattengale going to join me in just a little bit for about 20 minutes or so. We'll hit on the two pro franchises over there on Airline Drive in Metairie. Pels getting ready for game three tonight against the Suns. Sold out game. You know, I was thinking about the Suns who are, while the, the betting odds have, have drastically shifted in this series, understandably so, I mean, Devin Booker is going to miss some time, uh, they're still the favorite, and rightfully so. This is a team that won 64 games this year. Chris Paul missed a lot of time. They still won those games. They've got a deep team. They've got a good team, and I don't think they're going to be intimidated by... Um, you know, which should be an awesome, loud, raucous, sold-out crowd tonight at the Smoothie King Center. You know, they were in the finals there. We'll talk more about this with Gus uh, later on this hour, but let's take it back to last year when one of the Suns fans went viral uh, in their series against the Nuggets when, you know, a Nuggets fan poured a beer on him and he turned around and basically just gave him a couple of good punches and then threw up four and said Suns and four, and it became this meme and went viral and all this other stuff. Assumption of the risk. You start messing with someone in close proximity and you don't stop messing with them and you keep going, you might get hands when you're up close. Not a comedian on stage saying, oh, hey, this is a joke. And oh, let me walk on stage. And no, I'm not talking about Chris Rockwell Smith. I'm talking about getting in someone's close and personal space. And if there was a list of individuals, on the entire planet that you would not want to do that to or get in their close and personal space or heckle them or mess with them. I think Mike Tyson might be number one on that list. Mike Tyson. I'll call him a friend of the program. He's been on my show before. I interviewed him about six and a half years ago. He was funny. He was gregarious. He was charismatic. He was gracious. He answered all of the questions I asked him, some of which were difficult it was awesome i enjoyed it and even though it was over the phone and i was here in lafayette and he was over 1600 miles away in las vegas there was still a part of me that was like i don't want to tick him off i don't want to mess with him it's mike tyson for crying out loud the one question in there, uh, you know, that I had to ask about prison and other stuff, and I kind of got nervous, and he was just like, well, come to my, you know, my, my one-man show, and I'll answer all that. I was like, okay, yeah, moving on. <laughs> you know. But, again, he was funny, he was charismatic, he answered the questions. If he was on an airplane and I was maybe sitting next to him, I might tell him hi. Hey, I interviewed you once. He wouldn't remember. He'd be like, oh, man, that's great, yeah. Uh, leave him be, right? Leave him alone. 
Well, he was on a flight recently. This went viral yesterday, shortly after I got off the air. Um, and if you happen to just not get on the internet yesterday and you missed any of it, you can go to ESPNLafayette.com and you can see the video of it. And also in that same story, if you missed the interview I had with Mike several years ago, you can listen to it there. But this guy just kept heckling him, kept heckling him, sitting behind him, would not stop. You know, being a celebrity, having fame, it comes with perks. There's no question. It also comes with some issues or some inconveniences. Oh, we have all this money. You can do whatever you want when you're in public. And and there's different levels of celebrity. When you're public, people always want to talk to you. They want to take a picture. They want an autograph. They want to just say hi, which which is not uncommon. You know, Morgan Freeman has been in Lafayette filming a movie and you see, you know, you log on to social media and you'll see someone in Lafayette like, oh, I took a picture with him. Oh, I talked to him. And it's like, okay, you know, if he's nice, fine. But if the man's like eating dinner at a table at a restaurant, let, let him let him eat in peace. Now that's Morgan Freeman. And I imagine here in Cajun country, everybody that sees Morgan Freeman is not heckling him. They're just going up to a man who is 84 years old and saying, you know, I loved you in Shawshank. I loved you in the bucket list. I loved you in Robin Hood. I love your work. Right? With Mike Tyson, you know there's some drunk idiots that just want to A guy on a plane yesterday decided he was just going to heckle Mike Tyson. You, you already know how this ended. Eventually, Mike turned around, threw some hands, And the guy's face got a little beat up, a little bloody. But let's be real. If Mike really, really wanted to hurt him badly, he could have. He could have. I remember Mike Tyson in his prime as the heavyweight champion. And I swear, I and others, and I was, I mean, I was a kid. But me, adults, everyone, they, they were like, he might kill a guy in the ring one day. Because he throws that hard. He might throw a punch that just, it. Be a permanent knockout, which would which would have been terrible. I'm not condoning. I'm just illustrating the kind of following power stigma that was following Mike Tyson back in the day. You mess with Mike Tyson on a plane and you don't stop assumption of the risk. So, guys... If you happen to see a celebrity or you see someone, don't don't heckle them. Don't heckle them. Leave them be. If you're a super fan of them, maybe you can tell them hi if they're out in public and being nice. Maybe a picture. Okay. Just be cordial. But good God almighty, whatever you do, don't start heckling them. Don't mess with my... This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Brather. ESPN Lafayette, 103.3 on the FM, 14.20 on the AM, streaming worldwide via the ESPN Lafayette app. Coming up this weekend on our airwaves, we have Raging Cajun Softball. Winners of nine straight. The end of their rigorous road trip is today, tomorrow, and Sunday. Boone taking on Appalachian State. Ian Ozan has the call. 345 pregame today, 4 o'clock first pitch. 1245 pregame tomorrow, 1 o'clock first pitch. 1045 a.m. pregame 
on Sunday, 11 a.m. first pitch, and then they'll come home for uh, their final four games, four home games, rather, of the season against Houston Wednesday, and then they close out at home against Coastal Carolina the weekend after, and then they'll travel to ULM for the final weekend, and then before you know it, you'll be at the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. Baseball, Major Cajun Baseball looking to win another series. They are on the road at Georgia State, and when you look at those Sunbelt Conference standings and how close one through seven are in the standings, Georgia State's third, Cajuns are sixth. They have a chance to overtake them if they were to sweep. There's a lot to play for. One through six get a bye in the Sunbelt Tournament. This is going to be a big series. You can catch them on Newstalk 96.5 KPL, 5 o'clock tonight, 3 o'clock tomorrow, noon Sunday, pregame 30 minutes prior to each one of those. So that's what we have on the airwaves for you this weekend. You got NBA playoff basketball happening. Pelicans, Suns tonight. We'll talk about that with um, Gus Kygo here in just a moment. And we'll talk some Saints, right? I mean, heck, guys, we're less than a week away from the first round of the draft. That's it. And the thing I didn't get into yesterday, and I'll close out the first segment with this. And a lot of you will say, oh, he's just trolling, whatever. I didn't get into Jay Wright yesterday. Wednesday evening, Villanova head coach Jay Wright, who's 60, who looks like he's 40. I mean, he looks great. Announced his retirement. He's going to remain a part of Villanova. He's going to work as a special ambassador to the president of the university. But he's retiring from basketball. From being the basketball coach of Nova. You remember when Roy Williams retired? It was after the season at North Carolina. Passed over the reins. Carolina had a great year under Hubert. Almost won. Got to the final. Lost to Kansas by three. Started out slow, but got it together. Nova in the final four. Nova, who won a title in 2016 and 2018. Nova, who is now a blue blood in hoops. A coach that is great that retires with class. The importance of Jay Wright's impact at Villanova is undeniable. But you see how he retired, guys? Oh, Scott, you're just a Ducator. Mike Krzyzewski announced his retirement in June and said he wanted to do it because he didn't want it to be about him. To which, as anyone would know, the entire season became about him. Which is fine. I I don't blame ESPN or Duke or or every opponent in the ACC, with the exception of North Carolina, gifting him something in their in his final game. I mean, he's he's arguably the greatest college coach ever. But come on, in June you announce it'll be your last season because you don't want to make it about you. Shout out Jay Wright, retiring with class after a season ends. Wasn't really about him. One of the all-time greats. Don't go anywhere when we come back. Jarvis Landry, his future. Could the Saints in anything they do in the next six days impact how they are going to draft? In terms of if they were to sign someone. Jordan Davis, what is happening? How is he falling on the boards? What is going on? We're going to talk NFL draft, Saints draft with Gus and New Orleans Pelicans with Gus. 
the buzz, the vibe is real. It continues, and it's all coming your way right here on this Friday edition of the Great Scott Show. Uh, give me all you got, Friday. Give me all you got. Give me all you got. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. <laughs> where you can really let the referees know exactly how you feel. This is NFL, which stands for not for long when you make them calls. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. ESPN Lafayette. E to the S, to the P, to the N. The best ticket in sports. into the great scott show on a friday give me all you got happy to have you with me we got pronola segment right now we'll circle back to some of the national sports scene some of the stuff happening on the diamond this weekend ul lsu baseball cajun softball and more but right now to talk some Saints and Pelicans is our Saints and Pelicans correspondent, Mr. Gus Cattengale of ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans. Doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, we got a little bit to talk about. I know we don't have as much time as normal, but let's just get right into it. Um, I want to I want to start with the Saints and then get to the Pels, because I think we start with the Pels. We're going to run out of time. So... Jarvis Landry, I get the vibe that he's just kind of maybe using the Saints to get a little bit of leverage. Maybe Matthew was as well. Maybe they both end up signing. I'm not expecting it. But if they were to sign Landry, how much do you, and he might at this point be a post-draft signing, like how much do you think that impacts, if at all, their their methods in the draft? Are they going BPA no matter what? Are they leaning receiver as we said in the past, it's kind of hard to get a gauge because this is Dennis Allen's first year. Sean Payton's gone. But do you think anything between now and next Thursday will impact what they do in the first round? That's a good question. I, I would hope not. And what I mean by that is I still think you can't over-evaluate. And I know head coach Sean Payton kind of, you know, threw a wrinkle out at some 
some things when he was at the Zurich this week and saying, hey, the re-, you know, he doesn't know any inside info, but, you know, you, you don't try to get 16 and 19 if you're not trying to do one or two things, and that's try to get multiple picks there or package to move up. And then that just threw everybody, you know, oh, what are they, it is quarterback. I, I still don't buy that. Um, you know, he also made a comment that he doesn't doesn't think that the team needs to go receiver and all that. Look, it was one of his greatest mistakes, the over-evaluation of that room. They're not going to tell me, Scott, that, you know, Trey Quan Smith this offseason becomes a, a legit every even other down receiver. He's a good blocker, but he's not a guy that I can count on his receiving core to take to the next level. He's not a guy I'm going to put opposite of Michael Thomas and defense is going to say, well, now we can't double Michael Thomas. That's not happening. I, I love Callaway, but as you and I have discussed in the past, he's a nice complimentary piece. And as we saw last year, he struggles against a one or two level cornerback. And, you know, again, he's also not the guy I think opposite of Michael Thomas. Not saying he can't produce, you know, Deontay Hardy. I mean, another guy that I think is a situational, takes the top off of the defense type guy, not your number two. So, you know, even if you bring in a guy like Jarvis Landry, I think to the point that you made, I don't see it being a long-term deal. And I'm not saying that's not the Saints don't want it or he doesn't want it, but one of the reasons that was reported why he's not with Cleveland and, and is a Brown is because is looking for $20 million a year. The Saints are not doing that. No. So if that's the case, maybe you can finagle one of those two-year, second-year voidable, you know how they do it, pay him this year at a, at a minimum salary with a big bonus to try to get him close to that 20. But they're not going to sign him for a two- to four-year deal at 20 a year. That, that's not happening. And his unwillingness to do that in Cleveland got him released. So I think it was smart for the Saints to meet him, see where he's at, see where his head is at, Oh, this is our situation. It's up to you if you want it or not. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense um, that you did meet, that you did see where you were. Same thing with Tyron Matthew, and you move on and kind of look at it. So that's why I don't think, to answer your question, I don't think anything that happens this week changes that mindset that you have got to get a top-level receiver at 16 or 19. I think they're going to be there. I think it makes sense to go there. And to me, you would be hurting your football team if you don't go there. And what I love is that you keep seeing in all these mock drafts, you know, Chris Olave's there. You keep seeing sometimes maybe even the other Ohio State receiver or, you know, for some reason somebody at London all the way down there. I don't see that happening as well. But all it takes, we say, Scott, is one or two teams to shock, surprise, maybe go up to go get a quarterback, and then things start to slide. But I, I would be shocked if getting Jarvis Landry, you know, the Saints don't go receiver in the first round. If they do, I think they shoot themselves in the foot. I mean, Landry and Thomas are a solid duo, but I don't see that being a 
two, three-year combination, whereas if you draft one, that player you're expecting to stick around for two, three years or more. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. What What is their approach? What is their mindset? Because, look, I, I love Jarvis Landry, and I think he would be a good addition, but you have to think of the big picture as well, to your point. He ain't going to get $20 million. I mean, I, I know that's what he wants. I know he fired his agent. I know he's, at this point, maybe they wait till after the draft, see if they can find a team that'll do it. Um, it just, that's, yeah, man. I mean, he's good, but 20 mil a year, I, I don't know that he's that good. And this got a lot of money tied up into a receiver that really needs to play this year, Michael Thomas. And yet when Michael Thomas signed that deal, he was worth it, right? Um, it made sense at the time. And, I just I think their approach has to I'm with you. I think their approach has to be the same no matter what. And I I've told you, look, I hope they go offense because I think they need a lot of help there. They've made additions on defense this offseason. All they've done on offense is added Andy Dalton and wasted a future compensatory pick in the process, which still ticks me off just saying it out loud. But, you know, having said that, if Jordan Davis happened to be there, uh, I'm not going to complain. And the more of these. The more these mock drafts and draft pundits start talking, they're talking about this guy continuing to slide. I don't get it. I don't understand all this. I, I, I'm not a scout, so therefore I don't get it. But how is this guy not like a top five, top eight pick? He might, maybe he will be. Maybe he will be. But when I see these these boards of him sliding, I'm like, really? This guy is just an absolute freak. I mean, you put him on the D-line. Yeah, the Saints would be... Top-tier defense, shaky offense, but with that D, good luck. I mean, that he would I, would, I would sign up for that in a second. Scott, I'm with you. And I saw Peter Schragler from Good Morning Football post that this week. You know, we talked about it on our show here as well. I'm good with receiver and best offensive or defensive lineman at 16 and 19, which is why I just – I think you're – you need to take advantage of 16 and 19 because I think you can get two starters at those three positions at 16 and 19. And here's a name I'll throw out there as well that, you know, there was a write-up about a week and a half ago too. And I know Trevor Penning and some other offensive linemen have been mentioned out there, but Mickey Loomis told Peter King in Good Morning Football or Football in America, whatever, that he wrote last Monday and he quotes Mickey Loomis as saying that he thinks they'll be able to get top 20 or 25, someone in their top 20 or 25 board at 40. And I think they can. And, you know, there's a guy out there from Wake Forest who's, you know, his name is Zach, that scored the highest RAF as a center at the combine. And before you go wait, center. I hear you. He played center last in 2019. The last two seasons, he's played left tackle. Zach Tom. So uh, Zach Tom. Multiple oh, position yeah. oh, yeah. And so you have a guy that's smart, all right, because he took the test as a center. So it shows you he has the highest RAS ever. Draft him. Combine Draft him. Center. Take him. It might not be sexy. Exactly. Take that's him. I'm, I'm for it. Take him. Do it. Do it. Now, it's, it's, it's yeah, offense. That, yeah, come on. That, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Zach you know? Tom, and do it. He'll be there at 49. I think he'll be oh. there at 49. So, I, look, your strength on your football team right now is your defense. And there is a gaping hole in 
difference when David Onyemata was out and when David Onyemata played. So it's a sneaky, it's like, I think like you were even telling me on our show on Wednesday, it's one of those sneaky needs where, you know, no one really looks at the D-line because we think of the DNs you have in Davenport and Jordan and free agent acquisition, you know, in streets. And also you had Nate Turner from last year, a first-rounder. They're set. That D-tackle position, it's an interesting one. You throw in that beast. Look, I don't, I don't know why he's sliding. Maybe it's his weight. He dropped 20 pounds from Alabama to the combine. He was 340 at the testing there. If you were in concern about that, well, you know, I understand it. But at the same time, what if you can get him to focus or be fun? And here's the thing. At 360 at Georgia, the guy was unblockable. Unblockable. So, you know, now, they were worried about him being in every down back. The Saints like the, their NASCAR package. They like being able to put four defensive ends at the front. So right. he may not need to be an every down guy. No? That's right. No, I mean, I, I Yeah. See, these are Jordan Davis would get people excited because even though he's not on offense, just because he's he's a name, right? They know him, they watched him. Zach Tom wouldn't excite anybody. You get that dude at forty nine. I mean, signed, and you know how much the Saints love those Raz scores, as you just alluded to. Hard to believe, man. The first round is uh, less than a week away. Saints with two picks. Yeah. And we'll see what happens between now and then. That is Gus Kattengill, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. We're going to take a quick time out when we come back. Pelicans, it's sold out tonight. Pels versus the Suns game three. How the betting odds have shifted since Devin Booker's injury. We'll dig into that. The culture, the buzz that is surrounding Pels hoops. Don't go anywhere. It's the Pro Nola segment on a Friday. I'm Scott. That's Gus. We're right to this. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Joining me now, well, still joining me. He was with us for the last segment, with us for one more. Gus Cattengale, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Gus, tonight, game three, Pelicans Suns. The Pelicans, well, if you look at it on paper, their regular season record was 36 and 46. The Suns, a little, just a little bit better, 64 and 18. They won. 28 more games and had the best record in the NBA. But as you know, Gus, um, you know, the Pelicans, different team than they were earlier in the year. We've talked so much about their turnaround. Having said that, it wasn't a surprise when the postseason started and they were a huge underdog to the Suns, right? After game one, the Suns were plus, uh, excuse me, minus 4,000 betting-wise to win the series. Number today, they're minus 265. That's from game one to now. Now, part of that is because the Pelicans won game two and they covered the spread by 20 points. But the big part of it also is 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 Devin Booker's injury. And 
you know, all we know now is he's going to miss games three and four this weekend. You're the Pelicans, man. You've just had this unpredictable ride, especially considering where they were several months ago. And you, you asked me each week on your show, what's the buzz like over there? What's the buzz like? It hadn't been what it's been in New Orleans over the last month and a half until now. I've had more emails, more DMs, more texts, more chatter, more people on my street, more people when I'm with my kids out walking down. They're all talking Pelicans. People are into it right now, Gus. What's the buzz like heading in tonight's sold-out game? Game three where Pels are still the underdog, but, man, is it fun right now following this franchise. 100%. And I think the best thing about it, too, is um, – as we spoke in the last two weeks, your show and even here as well, man, it, um, it's organic. And it has nothing to do with Zion, which is nuts. And when you see them win game two the way they do, the reaction has been incredible about that too. You know, it's just like if you see them be able to be that competitive and, and play that well and be able to do those things, then, man, Imagine when that guy plays and what that bench will be of the guys that are actually getting starter minutes right now. I mean, the team closed out with Alvarado. Murphy is on there. You know, you got Herb Jones. That's incredible. Like, that's incredible when you think about it. That's your second unit. The second line. Know, I love that Joel Myers named the something. second unit the second line. That's just perfect, man. That's just so apropos. Yeah, no, it's great. And that's what I'm talking about. When you look at all of that, man, it just, you know, it, that's why it makes sense. Both parties, they're gonna. He's gonna sign the extension. He's been saying he's gonna sign the extension. They're gonna play. Everybody's gonna make it work. It and and it's beneficial for both sides. And that's what's exciting when you actually see what can happen next year. But to this year, and you're talking about the bet line moving and everything, it's incredible. Um, what I took the most out of that game to win was this team has no fear. This team isn't scared. This team doesn't matter or doesn't care um, what they're going to see. And I love the fight. I love that Brandon Ingram, you know, is showing that. I, I love the fact that you're seeing, you know, from C.J. McCollum and others just doing what they're supposed to do. But Trey Murphy's big threes. You know, Jose Alvarado only had two threes in the game. But when did they, they come? They were Late huge three-pointers, man. Massive. Huge. I loved how, I loved how they, um, they answered back and forth. You know I mean? The Suns had hit a big three. Boom, they hit a big three. You know, they hit a big three, and the Suns would hit a three. I mean, I loved how they able to do all of that and go back and forth. And that, to me, was special because they showed fight. They showed guts. They showed a willingness to, you know, to compete. And I think that's the thing that really stood out to me more than anything else. I think that's the thing that stood out to me, that you know, this team is going to battle, this team is going to fight, and they're going to do whatever it takes you know, to, to play. And the moment wasn't too big for them. And I think when you look at all of that, that's something that really is something to be proud of. It's it's uh, sometimes you hear analysts say, you know, sometimes young guys just don't know. Sometimes young guys aren't sure. Mm-hmm. They don't know, oh, it's playoffs, it's the big moment, I, I, whatever it is. Whether it's that, whether it's just guys that, you know, had a lot, like played a while in college. But Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, and Trey Murphy being the the integral part of the rotation they are right now, along with 
C.J. McCollum and Larry Nance Jr., who was part of the um, you know trade with 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 the Blazers earlier. That it's 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 uncommon what they're doing right now, and now you got an opportunity. I know they're still not favored to win the series. I, I wouldn't necessarily pick them to do it anyway, uh, because Phoenix, even without Devin Booker, is still that good. But this this feels like a series that could go a ways, and with Devin Booker out, right, anything is possible. What, what's your prediction right now for this series before we let you run? Man, I, I still think you know you're asking a lot for um, the, the Pels to, to try to knock off a team that's won you know 64 games, the franchise record for them. Yeah, a team that has you know the Hall of Famers like they do and. I mean, there's a reason they've earned that. So, I look, I'm as excited as anyone else, and I, I would love to see, be able to split at home. I think that would be incredible if, if they were able to do so. Um, and at the same time, you know, have an understanding of what exactly they're, they're trying to do. Look, it, it would be incredible. I know not having Devin Booker should help, but, you know, I mean, there's two, two ways teams respond when you don't have players like that, right, Scott? And, one is, you know, backs against the wall. I think they got to be prepared for a no holds barred game today. That team's not going to back down. They're not going to get frustrated or flustered by playing at the Smoothie King Center. And that's not a slight on, you know, the Pels fans or the crowd that might be there today, as you said, a sellout. But they played in the finals last year. And they have Chris Paul. They have Chris they, Paul. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. They have Chris and, Paul. Well, I thought Charles Barkley said a very good thing after game two, in which he said that they were, you know, a team that didn't, uh, that, that Chris Paul maybe was a little tired, maybe had some legs, you know, and having to, to do mm-hmm. what he did in game number one. So, right. look, they've had three days. So he's going to be rested. You know, they're going to try to, you know, bring it to the Pels. And I think one of the things that's going to be hard or a challenge, I think, for the Pels to, manage the adrenaline. I think being able to manage the excitement level, and, you know, I'd play the Willie Green speech at the end of game one, you know, um, in game one where you've you got to fight. I'm doing that before the play-o intro and all of that stuff. Like, you know, don't over-try to do everything. Now, I do think a good start for New Orleans would go a long way. I mean, if you can have it to where Suns are playing from behind from the midfield, at the very least, to make them use their energy. They're going to be capable to be able to come back. But, you know, I, 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 I can see the Pell split, man. And I'll tell you what, you go back to Phoenix 2-2, you, you, have, you have shown me a lot. It's already proven a lot to me. You've already given me a ton of excitement. I just think I need to go switch seven games, man. Um, that experience level is there. And if Booker can come back, I mean, look, you can see the difference in Brandon Ingram, right? I mean, that guy sat out seven, ten days, rested that hammy, and the guy's been cooking ever since. So when a, a guy can drop 31 on you at halftime, I'm, I'm not going to discount him when he comes back, you know? So I still think the Suns win, but I never thought I'd tell you what I tell you in six or seven games. Yeah, I'm, that, that's kind of where I'm at now, and, I, and, and that doesn't mean I'm even discounting the Pels because, as we've seen, no matter what, uh, there's not going to be any quit, regardless. But 
you know, they can not win another game this this series and it's still a successful season. And, and that's where we'll close, Gus, right? I think for, for fandom, the best thing for a fan of, of, of a franchise that's followed them for a while is the championship, right? That's that's the that's the ultimate. Number two on that list is when a team has a surprising run that, that people just were not expecting. Right, that's why I love the 2000 Saints season. It's probably my second to favorite Saints season behind, you know, 09, and then maybe 2017 is third on that list because it was so unexpected. 87, maybe after that, for the Pels, this this one you can look at. Oh, 36, 46. But if you've actually followed this team from the doldrums of where they were, it has been one of the most enjoyable seasons in franchise history. Which for folks that don't follow it, might look at the record and say, really. But the but the, the truth is really now was it fun in November and December? No, but I tell you what, man. From January on, it's um it's been quite a ride. We'll we'll close with that, Gus. But in terms of enjoyable seasons for this franchise, it's 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 near the top, isn't it? Um, look, it's got to be up there with, with one of them for sure. I think one of the things that somebody was saying on our show this week too was that it, it might be the best season in terms of the future and what it means moving forward and that you have an opportunity and you have a chance to um, be able to kind of move forward, take another step, and then, you know, be different from AD and Chris Paul and all that. They were kind of star-driven teams. You didn't know how good the rest of them were. I think your organization's in a better spot. Uh, I think, as I've discussed with you too, I, I think, the um, the fan base is more educated. You know, we had Chris Connor on from Pelican Station on the show guy. yesterday. Love and, him. You know, I we were talking about that. I'm like, dude, you legit have. And I told him he reminds me of you know the early days of Buddy, mm-hmm. Buddy D. In terms of you know when the game ends, people go there to complain, people go there to celebrate, people go there to do all those different Crack things. And I think that is completely different where it was you know it's easy to go see you know ad or cp3 and that's your that's your your selling point um people have fallen in love with this team because of alvarado herb jones you know trey's starting to make a bit of his name i mean think think of that you know you were there i saw you in the playing game against san antonio you walk around the concourse there's not on herb shirts mm-hmm for a second round pick, there's All a Jose Alvarado jersey that you can buy. That that's ridiculous. I mean, that's that tells you it's organic. Um, you're watching Brandon Ingram, who absolutely was happy to come here and fought in. He could have been like, "Dude, from L.A., get out of here, send me out of here." And I actually think this environment perfect for him. Um, he seems relaxed, and you bring in a breeze like figure like C.J. McCollum that. He's highly of the city. It can be a mentor to these young guys. He allows and tells Brandon Ingram, no, man, this is your team. You're the superstar. I'm playing off of you. That's a huge thing. You know, he could have been, look, I'm the guy. This is my time to shine. I was, you know, on the side of Dane Lillard, and you know, it's about me. And it's crazy when you look at that, right? I mean, all the things that came in place and shaping, you've got the best head coach honestly, since the team's moved here. So I know Monty was here for a bit, but Monty tells you he's a different coach now than he was when he first started. So when you take a look at all of that and combine all of that, man, I, 
it's hard for me to not think that you're not in a better spot now than you've ever been, which is crazy to think. But I do because I haven't done anything. Hasn't done anything yet. Um, the numbers and stuff that he did last year, that's not the same team. He's going to have a better team around him. And, I, and you notice I didn't call it a cast. I'm not calling the supporting cast. That team right now without him is a very good team. They just won on the road in a playoff game against the number one seed. You can tell me Booker got hurt. You can tell me all of that. That's fine. Game one, it got to within six, and they were leading 77-74 when Booker got hurt. So when you look at all of that, and that's without Zion, I mean... They're 11-3 and three in the last 14 games that Ingram played in since February. They've been top 10 in offense and defense. I mean, it's these are these are facts. Gus Cattengale has been our guest. We're going to let him run. Appreciate the time, as always, my friend. Follow him on Twitter at GCAT underscore 17. Listen to the Sports Hangover ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans. All the best, my friend. Appreciate the time. I know you're squeezing us in this morning, but I know our listeners appreciate it. All the best. Have a good man. Take care, Scott. You too, brother. Yes, indeed. NBA playoffs, man. Good talking to Gus. If you put any parlays down, if you Kings, if you're a new user, there are plenty of promos happening, as you've heard the ads on the show. Um, you know, and there's some smart bets and dumb bets. I, I, I mainly do dumb bets, if I'm being honest. I want some decent money in the NCAA tournament on bets, but I, I try to stay away from parlays. But every now and then when you hit, my dumb bets are usually the fan bets because I try to be objective, but I'm also I was I, I always do like a futures bet. Now before when I couldn't just do it, you know, from my phone when sports betting wasn't legal in Louisiana, if I was in a state where it was, I would go, you know, put twenty bucks down on a futures ticket for the Saints to win the Super Bowl. No, I did not do that in 09. And so I've never won any money from it. And I know going in, yeah, it isn't gonna hit, but hey. I mean, the Pelicans definitely ain't going to hit, right? I put 20 bucks down. It was like plus 50,000 for them to win the NBA Finals. Now it's plus 4,000. Yeah, it's different now that they're in the playoffs. Plus 20,000 to win the Western Conference. I put 20 bucks down on that. It's probably not going to happen. Probably a dumb bet. But hey, it's fun, right? It's the fan in you. It keeps you going. Now I think it's plus 1,500. Still pretty long. Maybe the longest of all the teams. Well, not anymore. I think the Hawks have the longest odds. We're a little bit into the playoffs. The Raptors, I think, have the longest ones. After that crazy Embiid shot back on Wednesday night day in overtime, now they're down 3-0. They're about to get swept. But in terms of, like, putting money down in sports-related things, everybody was the buyer who purchased... Tom Brady's alleged at the time was believed to be last touchdown throw. Now this was the guy's name was Ron Furman. Bid $518,000 on Tom Brady's last touchdown pass back on March 12th. Less than 24 hours before Brady said, "I'm coming back," even though as we know now he was never actually leaving. He was trying to finesse his way over to the Dolphins. It didn't work. The plan fell apart, and so he just decided to go back to Tampa Bay. He was always going to be playing this year. But that's not the point of the story. The point is Furman spent over a half a million dollars on just a, you know, a football that Tom Brady threw. 
I'm sure a touchdown football that Brady threw to someone online is worth something, but the last one, you're going to be worth a little more. Furman, who spoke to Darren Ravel, said that he would he would do it again. He'd bid on that ball again. He'd bid on it again in a heartbeat. I would do it. If if some if if a receiver throws the ball in the stands, I'm going to buy it again. Now, it's easy for him to say it because what didn't make headlines was that that dude reached a settlement with the company that he purchased the ball from on an auction and the and the sale ended up being voided. Everybody piled on when it happened. Oh, yeah, what an idiot. That sucks to be that guy. What is he? First of all, I mean, the guy didn't know Brady. He just didn't know Brady was coming back. Didn't know that the first time around, the reason Brady didn't say goodbye to the Patriots in his initial farewell was because he was planning on going to the Dolphins and playing them every year. Every year. Who knows how long Brady will play. Maybe every year. Do my play till he's 100. Whatever he's drinking in that water in the TB12. But yeah, $518,000. He spent on it as an attorney. They got the sale voided. So he didn't actually. It's easy to say, yeah, I'd do it again. Sure, you'd do it again. Because if Brady decides to go through it again and decides I'm going to retire but not retire, then you can get the sale, you know, voided again. There are smart investments. There are dumb investments. Until you know for certain that that cat ain't coming back and throwing another touchdown, I'd stay away from purchasing a ball for $518,000. On that note, just about out of time in hour number one, we'll uh, dig into some college baseball, a little softball in the next hour. Take a look at UL and LSU on the diamond. We'll get back into the NBA playoffs. We'll open up phone lines at 337-269-1077. Reminder of what's coming up on our airwaves this weekend from UL standpoint, Cajun softball right here. They are uh, on the road. They've won nine straight. They're wrapping up their uh, their road trip right now, the long road trip. Been away from home for a while. They've got today... 4 o'clock pregame at 345, 1 o'clock tomorrow pregame at 1245, and 11 pregame at 1045. Ian Ozan on the call. He has been on the road. Cajuns played in Mobile last week at St. Louis Monday and Urbana, Illinois on Tuesday in Bloomington, Indiana. Now they're in Boone. And by the way, when they wrap up Sunday, the team's flying back. Coach Glasgow and his wife Vicky will be driving back to Lafayette. He's been on the road nonstop since they left for Mobile, but We'll, uh, we'll talk to him Monday morning, as we will. Coach Matt Deggs, Rage Cajun baseball team, taking on Georgia State on the road tonight at 5, tomorrow at 3, and Sunday at noon. Even though they're on the east side over there in Atlanta, uh, pregame 30 minutes prior, you can hear it on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Don't go anywhere. The Great Scott Show will continue. As I mentioned, we'll open up phone lines. Hit on some of last night's NBA games. Take a look at the biggest surprises thus far. And the latest mock draft. Don't go anywhere. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Braith. The Great Scott Show continues right after this.
Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Welcome in to the Great Scott Show, 8 o'clock hour. Happy to have you with me on a Give Me All You Got Friday. How's everybody doing? Welcome to the weekend. Open phone lines for you now, 337-269-1077. Why were the Atlanta Falcons trending last night? Well, I'll tell you. The same reason they usually trend. When a team in sports on a big stage collapses and blows a giant lead. See, that's what happens when you blow a 25-point lead in a Super Bowl. From that point on, especially if you have never won a Super Bowl and haven't done anything since it happened, any time... A franchise blows a big lead, and there are a lot of people watching. 28-3 to gets brought up. The Atlanta Falcons are trending. I mean, it's like a scarlet letter for that franchise. Or in this case, a scarlet number. Numbers, 28-3. And like the Falcons, Minnesota sports fans, they've... They've been through a lot. You know, at least in Atlanta, they have the Braves. In Minnesota, it's been a long time since the Twins won a World Series. Over 30 years. And while the Minnesota Lynx have won titles in the WNBA, the Minnesota Timberwolves, well, they hadn't done all that much. They've been to one conference finals in NBA history. When KG was in his prime, it was as far as they could get. And they celebrated the heck out of the play and went over the Clippers, and I had no problem with it. Enjoy yourself. Have fun. And then they go into Memphis, and they steal game one, and oh, my God, look at all of this hope. Look at all of this excitement for the T-Wolves. Well, the Timberwolves, they Atlanta Falconed it last night, guys. Between their franchise and what they've done over the years, and the Vikings, whose quarterback is Kirk Cousins and who have never won a Super Bowl before and who, you know, probably the best team in NFL history that didn't make a Super Bowl in the 98 Vikings. You know, that, those fans have been through a lot. The Twins have won 13 postseason games in a row. That's difficult to do, almost as difficult as blowing two 25-point leads in a single game. You want to know, when, when the Atlanta Falcons are, are trending, it's because a team really blew a, a lead in a big way. The Timberwolves were up by 25 or more twice. First time, Memphis chipped away, came back, then Minnesota blows it open, and then they blow it. 
They get outscored in the fourth quarter, 37-12. to 12. They ended up losing the game by nine points. Simply incredible stuff. When you lose like that, when you lay an egg like that, you don't come. The series is over. It's over. You don't come back from that. In fair or not, in the NBA playoffs, when you are a star player or an all-star but haven't really done anything in the postseason, you're going to get judged in these moments in a big way, in a harsh way. You know, Minnesota is not a team that's on national television a ton during the regular season. For a lot of folks, the first time they get to see him is the play-in or the playoffs. And they're looking at the All-Star and the three-point champion this year, Carl Anthony Towns, the contest anyway, during All-Star break, not the actual three-point champion in terms of made threes this year. And Carl Anthony Towns in four postseason games this year has laid an egg in half of them. He's only 26. It's not fair. But guess what? Everyone is pointing out how he can't get it done in these big moments. Bit harsh. I mean, there's been three playoff games, a single play-in game. Yeah, when the Falcons are trending, it's usually not because they won a game or because they did something good. Especially when they're trending and there's no NFL news. I get it. The the NFL. The NFL. The NFL schedules when they're going to announce schedules and it becomes stories. We'll announce the international games May 4th. Buckle up, Mark. We're going to announce the regular season games May 12th. Even though you all know who's playing in these games, the dates of them are all coming up. And I... And I guess I'm a, I'm a rube because I, I get excited about it. The announcing of the schedules of schedules. But, yeah. I, I, when it, God bless. The Atlanta Falcons, their social media team, they got their hands full. Good luck with that. You're just sitting there, draft is a week away, trying to get some rest before... You're working nonstop, and suddenly you're like, wait, why, why is everybody tweeting our handle? Why are we trending nationally? Oh, God, what happened? Oh, it oh, looks like the T-Wos blew a giant lead twice in a single playoff game at home. I mean, that place just was an insane atmosphere. And then in the fourth quarter, sheer panic. It went from the Roman Coliseum to the New York Symphony like that in terms of crowd noise. It was it's like, oh, God, been here before. The Warriors last night, Nuggets made it a game late. They tied it late, 113-113, and then, you know, they, they couldn't get a bucket. J. Mike Green with a steal off of Jokic. Jordan Poole had a great game. Curry, Clay Thompson. The Warriors are up 3-0. They're cruising to a sweep, and they are sitting pretty right now in the Western Conference considering the one-seed Phoenix Suns, who we've talked about quite a bit, who will play in New Orleans tonight against the Pels, are missing Devin Booker for, you know, a couple of weeks at least. 
And then you've got Memphis and Minnesota. And then you've got Utah, excuse me, Memphis and Minnesota we mentioned. But then you've got Utah and Dallas. And without Luka Doncic, the Mavericks are up two games to one. Two games to one. I mean, Utah is at home with a chance to go up in the series, playing a Mavs team without their best player. And Utah's reminding everybody, yeah, we can we can win a lot of regular season games, but come postseason, we kind of become like, dare I say, the Atlanta Falcons. Big expectations can come big disappointment. And Utah last year is a one seed, losing in the second round. And this year, not as a one seed. But, hey, look, we can run it back. I mean, when Quinn Snyder is trying to say there's no animosity between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, two all-stars on the team, and he's saying they eat dinner together sometimes. He's, these coworkers occasionally have a meal together. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that does it. That proves all is well in Salt Lake City. If Utah loses this series, and they're down two to one now, but I mean, if the Mavs, who knows when? If if Luca, I just I can't Utah. If one thing, if one thing, if Luca was playing, okay, that'd be one thing. He's not. You're getting out there and getting torched by Jalen Brunson. And look, I like I like Jalen. He's, you know, he was at Villanova. He's a guy, second round pick, worked his tail off, has worked his way. I do. I I like his story. I like him as a player. He ain't Luca. Supposed to be Salt Lake City, where the Mavs hadn't won a game in six years, and now it's the postseason, and they don't have their best players. He recovers from a left calf strain, and they lose. And Luca's supposed to maybe be back in Game Four, or at the very least, Game Five. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Got to love the NBA playoffs, though, huh? Got to love it. Miami, Atlanta tonight. Milwaukee, Chicago, and Phoenix, and the New Orleans Pelicans. Sold out Smoothie King Center tonight. It'll be fun. On the college baseball side of things, we mentioned Cajun softball taking on App State today, tomorrow, and Sunday. Baseball on the road as well at Georgia State. Jay Walker and Brad Topham in Atlanta right now. Getting ready to call tonight's game. Brad will be joining me next from Atlanta to discuss this series a little bit. Talk a little LSU baseball as well. They uh, they defeated Missouri last night. They have a Thursday, Friday, Saturday SEC Weekend Series. State of the Tigers. We'll talk a lot of Cajuns baseball as well, and it's coming your way next right here on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. ESPN Lafayette, 103.3 on the FM, 1420 on the AM, and streaming worldwide via the ESPN Lafayette app. If you're listening to us via the stream, it's brought to you by Champagne's Market on the Wills Center. Champagne's going the extra mile. Don't go anywhere. We're right back, right after this.
Welcome back into the Great Scott Show on a Friday. Education Baseball on the road tonight. 5 o'clock first pitch, 4.30 pregame from Learfield. You can hear it on News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Jay Walker, Brad Topham in the booth. Top joins me now on a Friday. Top, how's the weather in Atlanta, man? Good morning. Good morning, man. It's actually really cool. Sun's out, beautiful skies, but the lows here are high 50s to 60 degrees. So you're going to have gorgeous weather again. We've been lucky, man. We're talking about a high of 80, low of 60. You know, the Braves are in town. Everything's good. Right, right. How are the Braves doing in the standings there? No, they were below 500 last year at the All-Star break. They won, I think they won a World I, Series. I, I, I'm talking about long. last year. I, I was just, I don't know. No, I don't even know. Like currently, I just didn't know. I was just asking. I'm not talking about last year. I remember what they did last the, year. Nah. They're not pitching very good right now. They're hitting. They're not pitching. They're six and eight. But okay. they also that's they just, right. That's right. Six yeah, eight, yeah. That's okay. No, I, I'm, I, I'm good. I, I, you keep betting on betting on hurt Degrom. You'll be good. Hey, ten and four, baby. I gotta take it when I can get it. I have no. I gotta take it when I can get it, man. Uh, <laughs> we know how this I'm is probably gonna now. end. I just gotta take it while I can get it. <laughs> they Mets like to you. set their fans up for. Um, maximum pain and to do that you gotta you gotta get the hopes up a little at some That's point true. you know you gotta get them ready i mean i'm i'm realistic about things but I'm, I'm gonna try to enjoy it um let's talk some baseball cajuns on the diamond this weekend at georgia state and brad the the let's just start with the obvious thing right from a from i i know there's there's still a number of series left i get it but gosh man when you look at the standings in the sun belt and Considering, you know, only one through six get the buy into the double elimination part of the bracket. And one through seven is they're all separated by three games. Cajuns are right there bunched up with, you know, the teams that are in fourth, fifth, sixth, uh, a half game up of the team in seventh. A game back of the team in third, Georgia State, who they're playing this weekend on the road. I mean, every... You think of the games they lost on Saturdays to to Georgia Southern and ULM last week. Granted, it was Friday, but you know the the second game of the series. You just it, a sweep in a situation right now. A sweep for any team in any of these series. If you're on the right side of it, the chances of you having that you know first round buy, if you will, is is high. If you get swept, man, it's. Chances of you being on the outside as that seven team is 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 high as well. Like these games down the stretch, if you're one of those people that like to follow the standings, you're going to be scoreboard watching Sunbelt games pretty much every weekend for the next couple of weeks. You know, it's pretty amazing. You open your se- your season by getting swept. And if you don't blow an, a lead in the ninth twice, you're sitting here right now at 11 and four. After starting to see, and that's talking about going through some of the better teams. Getting but swept in Sunbelt, right, right. Yeah. So the good thing is, the really good thing is, when you what you're talking about, the teams in front of you, you know, Tony used to say, when you want to climb, you got to pull somebody up, pull somebody down. Well, Georgia State and Texas State are in front of you, and Georgia State's this weekend. Now they're both on the road. And look, they're also, our RPI, okay, we're a team that's, you know, four games above 500. 
yet we're still in striking distance of an RPI that will get you in the playoffs at a large bit, you know. Um, we're only sitting at 55 right now. Uh, Georgia State's at 37. Texas State's up there. But, Scott, it's, it's strange, man. So what happened was there's a school called Georgia Gwinnett. They're an NAI power. Coach Stromdale got hired from there. Well, his first year was the COVID year. Last year, kind of cleaned house. This year, they're getting it done. The Duke can coach. He won a national title at Georgia Stromdale, uh, Georgia Burnett, excuse me, and um, he knows what he's doing. And this team can flat rake. They can hit. Georgia State, 37 RPI. You mentioned Louisiana, 55 RPI. Just a number, number watch to keep an eye on as you head into it. Brandon Talley playing tonight. I'll be starting tonight, rather. Trey Horton, Georgia State starting. I see he's got a 5.24 ERA, but no decisions this season. Um, I, I don't know a lot about the right-hander, but what, what is Georgia State's pitching like? Surprisingly, their pitching's been good, man. Um, in conference games, so if you look at numbers, Cages are number one in all uh, pitch in ERA and number two in defense in conference games. But Georgia State's number three. And that was really surprising. Now, they're full run behind the Cajuns, but I'll tell you what's happened to them. They know how to win late. They're pitching, for the most part, they've had some big-time games, obviously. But for the most part, their pitching has been good enough to keep them in games where their offense can take over. As an example, Scott, they've got 10 wins in Sunbelt. They've got nine saves. That kind of gives you an idea of the type of games they're playing. But they got, they got two guys. Their Friday night guy, he's been good. And they got a good reliever, and they'll throw it. They're both righties. They'll come in behind them. Um, they got a lefty. He's actually from LSU, a kid named Kaminer, who's pretty good. I'm actually surprised he's not starting, to be honest. But they're, uh, um, they, they just they find ways to win. And this is not something that Georgia State has done traditionally. And their pitching staff has been just good enough, if that makes sense. Well, they had won eight straight, and then last week it ran into Georgia Southern, who swept them. Cajuns should have swept Georgia Southern, let's be honest. They just, you know, the ninth yep. inning of, of that one and the ninth inning of the one against ULM, those are the two that, man, they just eat at your crawl. But we'll see what the standings are whenever the regular season ends. But how much of Georgia State at this point, like, they are a product of their schedule? I, I see 37 RPI. That's what stands out to me. You know, it's like, okay, they're 24 and 13. They're 10 and 5 in the Sun Belt. What's their RPI? Because when I see overall number, that's what I want to look at. Obviously, they've played some teams this year. You know, it's not like they're going into this thing, oh, yeah, but who have they beaten? Sure, they got swept last week, but Georgia Southern's good. This is a team that clearly has, has gone out and, and played some good baseball teams. You know, they have. And see, the Georgia teams, they're, they are very much like Louisiana teams in that there's a lot of good baseball around them, whether you know them or not. For example, uh, Mercer is, is a very good team. Kennesaw State is a very good team. So they have a lot of local. I mean, Tallahassee's not that far away playing Florida State. So they play a lot of good midweek baseball. And, that, that's what, that, and they've been successful in those games, and that's what's helped their RPI. Um, they, they've just been better than expected when it comes to all that stuff. But, you know, you were asking about Horton, and that's a guy, this is an example, he's just been a Friday night guy most of the year. He's been a weekend guy most of the year, but he doesn't go long. He was a starter, then they pulled him, went to the pin, and they brought him back as a starter. 
You know, they have moved around a bit. When that guy gets in trouble, it's walks. But it's another righty, and he's older. That's the one thing I've found that the righties that aren't, I guess for lack of a better term, ridiculously overpowering, it tends to be guys that are older, maybe six-year guys, you know. I mean, look at us. Our rotation is a bunch of guys that should be out of college already. ESPN Lafayette, that's true. I mean, and, and you know, we were talking about that. And um, I guess last week, I don't know, I brought up your point about that. I don't remember if it was to Bab or if it was to Co- uh, Coach Deggs, but, you know, none of those guys have the best stuff, so to say, but they all have the best experience. And it's not a coincidence. You've got, you know, a couple uh, between the three of them, right? 15 years. <laughs> Three five-year seniors yeah. as your as your your starting rotation on the weekend. Yeah, and it makes a big big difference. But now I will tell you, they are, the rotation this rotation for the last last weekend they got roughed up. They really did. They got roughed up pretty bad last weekend. Um, we'll see how it goes this weekend. But their rotation got roughed up. Jeff Wilson had his first bad starting three. You know, there was a stretch we've gone through. Um, where you're only giving up two runs or less in the first five innings of like eight out of nine conference starts, you know, so the, the stars have been getting it done early. they now some the stars have given them some runs in the six or in the seven, but they've been getting it done early, but Scott, they, you know, it's the elephant in the room. When you go to the pin, are they going to throw strikes? Yeah. That's the I mean, you know, you have one bad inning is going to kill you. You hit guys, you give them free bases. When that first runner gets on base and they didn't have to earn it, I mean, chances are it's going to be a really bad yeah. inning for the Cajuns, and that's been that's been the Achilles for the team this year. I mean, it's it, it, De, Coach Deggs uses the word generosity when he's talking to the media. I, I imagine he uses some four letter words when he's talking to his team. Yeah, so I'll give you a prime example, and, and this is why coaching so tough. He goes to Cooper Rawls Saturday at ULM, yanks him out. Rawls have been like that last two outings. Dirk. Someone right, so he goes to Tommy Ray. Tommy Ray blisters both guys. You're like, all right, well, he should, you know, your gut says, oh, he showed it to Tommy. Goes to Tommy at LSU. Tommy hits and walks. And can't, and you, have to get, you know what I mean? It's like the, the pitchers are so up and down, the relievers. They just are. They're just up and down. And, and it's only, I don't get it, it's going strikes. Twight will come out of the bullpen one time or two times or three times in a row and look great. And they'll come out and get throw a strike. So it's—I don't know what's going on there, but that's what to me that's where your issue is. You're 20 and 16, man. You could easily be in that 26 range, 27 win by throwing strikes out the pin. Just throwing strikes. I mean, the LSU game, Scott, they—they should have been winning three to two. You go back and redo the inning; they're winning three to two at the end of the inning instead of winning seven to two. But because you can't, you know. You're kicking balls and walking people, hitting people. Brad Topham, our guest, ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. You, a uh, former catcher yourself for UL or USL back in the day. Um, your perspective on Julian Brock, the Cajun catcher. Uh, we've kind of documented his story this week a little bit in talking to Coach Deggs and then again on Wednesday to Coach Babb. But um, what does he bring to the table that we can't see? that somebody that is a casual fan and hasn't played catcher uh, for a D1 school really see in his game and just 
You know, he's been called the glue guy, right? What makes him that? What makes Julian Brock as valuable to the team as he is? Well, the first thing is he got, he got more valuable because he got better at catching. Brock came in with a cannon and a pro body. But honestly, he was too active behind the plate. If, the term I like to use is a quiet catcher, meaning you don't see him moving around a lot. You see him catching the ball and sticking it. And Brock was really active. And I heard Diggs talk about it before, recently, and he talked about or bad one of them. And they were talking about the fact that he's really improved defensively behind the plate. And you don't hear him talking about leadership improvement. It's, it, he had to improve on the aspects of his game that, I don't know, unless you have a catcher coaching you, you don't realize this stuff. Like, don't be active. Be quiet. Stick the ball. And the leadership part of it is, I think a lot of it, Scott, honestly, A, he waited his turn significantly. He came in with high expectations, and he kept a good attitude about it. How do you walk up and complain to him when you're coming from Juco or somewhere I should be starting or grumbling about something. Well, you can't grumble to that guy because he's already done it. He's been the guy that waited his turn, and he got better. He came in with all the expectations, and he waited. They brought somebody in. When I thought I was going to start, he took my place, and I waited. And he does it with a positive attitude. His, his genetic attitude is just he's a positive kid. He's a happy kid. He smiles. So when you put all that together, that's the kind of guy you want to talk to in the dugout, you know? And if you're a grump, if you're the bad, if you got that bad attitude, you're not going to bring it to him because he's the wrong guy to bring it to, you know, because he can, he can look you in the face and say what he wants to say. So all those things combined, I think it, it makes the big difference. It really does. That's why we say Brock and, and CJ Willis are guys that are easy to root for. It's not even, sure. it, it's, it's as much about their play as it is, you know, what they represent in the dugout on the field, on the diamond, in the clubhouse. Uh, Trey LaFleur, I want to get your thoughts on him. The Ole Miss transfer, win healthy, another left-handed batter in the lineup. How much does does he potentially change the Raging Cajun offense? This is a kid who was drafted the 19th round and turned down good money to come to college. He is that spark that you could get that people say, where'd that kid come from? Why hasn't he been starting all year? He's going to have rough days. He had a rough day against LSU. I don't care how much practice you have until you start seeing the guy on the mound going from 93 with the fastball to 74 with the breaker in a game situation. He needs the bats. And Scott, kid's got long arms and extension. Hit a ball at a dead center the other day, and exit velocity is 109 miles an hour. That stuff don't grow on trees. I mean, this kid has potential to add another left-handed bat because, honestly, all you have is Rocco, right? That's really your main left-handed hitter. So if you could add in, and here's the other thing. Right now, last four or five conference games, Rocco's been intentionally walked four times. That's why Dave shuffled the lineup. You've got to find somebody to start to protect Rocco because people are just getting to the point where we're just going to walk him. We're just going to walk him. And you got the lean RBI guy in the conference that's not getting opportunities. So somebody's got to be able to drive in runs behind him. That's where the floor could come in. And, it, again, you get that kid hot. But look, your bench gets better, and your, you have some protection behind Rockefort. Brad, top of our guest, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Last thing about Cajun baseball, uh, in your mind, what's the key to a series against this Georgia State team? 
they got three guys that have led the conference, and uh, the, the top three home run hitters in the conference are all on this team. They swing the bat one through six really good. No free, I know it's dumb, but the freebies are a bigger deal this weekend because no freebies in front of home runs. You're going to give up home runs. You just are. They're going to, if they're solos, it won't hurt you. Think about the LSU game. You give up two bombs, but it was only three runs. Well, you give them five free base runners, that's when they capitalize and score the rest of their runs. So the key is going to be the freebies. I think we'll hit enough to win, and we'll start our starting pitchers will do enough to win. You cannot give away free base runners out of the pin because I think it can turn into a two-run, three-run home run. So to me, that's going to be the key. Brad Topham has been our guest. want to get your thoughts quickly. Um, on LSU, Brad, uh, their series with Missouri started last night. They won, but uh, this team, I was saying, they're just so... They they have issues in in the fielding aspect of it. It's cost them a number of games, but I so topsy turvy, right? I mean, they put up so many runs against Mississippi State. They sweep them uh, in Starkville, and then they come out the next weekend, and you know they they struggle against. Look, Arkansas is really good. I get it, but they struggle against Arkansas, right? Earlier this season, it's a show me series, right? They go into Florida, they win, they put up. 27 yeah. runs in the two wins in that series. And the next weekend they come out and they lose at home to Auburn. And I know the feeling hurt them in that. But they're just they're so up and down. Um, is, that, is that just who they are this year? Like, are they a team? That, look, we know they're going to be in a regional and all that other stuff. And they'll probably finish somewhere in, you know, the middle or somewhere in the middle around the SEC. But what is your expectation for LSU beyond the regular season? I think the reason you, that you're having the yo-yo is you're having it because you can't get consistent starting pitching. I mean, LSU scores enough runs to win every single game, but their pitching has not been consistent. For example, the guy that started against us, he was a, start, he was a weekend starter at the beginning of the season. Then he went bad. And I saw his stuff, but I also saw what got him in trouble. We chased high fastballs. If you don't chase high fastballs on that guy, he's going to be in trouble. And that's kind of where you're at. They've got to get their starting pitching consistent enough. Now, look, they threw out McHale last night. McHale here gets really good. He is, if his arm's healthy. You know, make no doubt about it. But they've got to they got to sweep. That's the other part, Scott. They're, they're in position in a series like this. they got to sweep the series. They don't get the opportunity to just, you know, play the series. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a lot of pressure when you know you have to sweep somebody because you just got swept. And then, look, Georgia's good. Alabama is playing better than anybody thought. Don't know what's going on with Ole Miss. And then you close the season with Vanderbilt. So, I mean, you're under 500 in the SEC. And they've all, like, the, the NCAAs already showed you. 13 wins gets you in the NCAA tournament. But that's why you got to get three this weekend. Because... You, you know, you, you have to go four and four over the rest of the year minimum, you know, to get up to 14 wins. you gotta, you got to win some series if you sweep this weekend, just get to 500. So it's going to be it's gonna be a rough ride for them, but they got to get better than the starting pitching department. Well, just get in, get hot at the right time. Maybe you can make some noise um, like those New Orleans Break Pelicans. Break the gold jerseys, bro. Come on, man. No, I, I, I'm shifting gears to the Pels. I mean, by the time y'all get back to the hotel tonight, 
you know, you'll, you'll be able to catch the second half. So I, I know Jay doesn't pay attention, but, you know, maybe maybe give him a few shots and have him starting some cheers or something. Oh, look, I, I enjoy watching. I mean, I just want to see somebody, I just want to see somebody uh, do some nuts on Valentinus' hair. I just want to see his hair get messed up. Whatever, look, when it gets, it, it's been a little ruffled the last few games, and that means he had a really good game. You know, when his hair gets a little <laughs> messed up, I've heard you say that. I mean, I mean, look, is I, you know, with Zion not playing, having not played this season, my, you know, my son Callaway, Jonas has become his his second favorite player, his favorite player this season, and he's always saying, "Daddy, why can't you grow a beard like that? Why can't you do your hair like that?" I'm like, "Son, genetically, it's impossible. Um, you see what my hair looks like, <laughs> and you see what my beard looks like." And he's like, "You think you can grow to seven feet tall?" I'm like, "No." But uh, yeah, he's he's got a birthday coming up, and and one of the presents is going to be a, a Valanciunas jersey. So he's uh, he's been wearing a Zion jersey the last three days. He's all into it. But the game starts so late. He's like, Dad, t- I went. I, he was up early this morning. And I was leaving. He's like, Are they playing tonight? I'm like, You can watch the first quarter with me. You know, you don't have school tomorrow. It's all good. So it's been a fun ride, man. But you know, just get into the dance, get hot at the right time. Who knows? Make, make some noise. But I, I, I want to close with this. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I was saying this to Gus last hour. I think regardless of the sport, right, and maybe this has happened with you with the Braves at some point, when, you're, when a team that you root for wins a championship, okay, that's, that's the best, right? That's, that's, that's the cream. Sure. That's the top, right? You had that last year. The second to most enjoyable seasons for fans of teams, in my opinion, is the unexpected good season, right? It's when you're not really seeing this. I mean, look, they were 1-12. They were 3-16. and 16, They were 18-34. and 34. I mean, they were not – you go back to, like, you know, November, December, and you have folks out there saying, like, who cares? What's the deal? And things slowly – it wasn't one giant step. It was just, just a lot of – normal steps to get to the point where they are now but it's it's it just feels different it's almost like this is all bonus not to say that you're not disappointed when it comes to an end at some point but like for you as a fan of any teams I always I reference 2000 Saints all the time like what's a team that you root for in life and it was the most enjoyable season that wasn't a championship season look this past Saints season was really enjoyable on Sunday <laughs> Not on, not on during the week when the injury report came out. Because, and I've said it multiple times, and I know a lot of people I've talked to agree, when I don't have expectations. Look, the 2018 season was heartbreaking. But I spent the whole season trying to get to the playoffs because that's all I cared about because I knew we were going to get there. And you needed, you needed home enjoyed. field. And every win, yeah, every win was so stressful. Right. Like, oh, you can't, you can't lose ground. Like, it was more relief than, like, Man, this is this is yeah. fun. It was never we got to win. It was we can't lose. We can't lose. Oh, God, we're better than this team. Now I'm like, like this past season, I really enjoyed it because I didn't know the outcome. I thought, oh, okay, here's a way we can win. Here's a way we can win. Here's a way we can win. All right, how good is this, this backup going to be this week? How, much, how good is this third string going to be this week? It'll start up. You know, and it was it made it more enjoyable because you just didn't know and for lack of a better term, I got to see different people become heroes some weeks. And I just, you know, the what-ifs, of course, make it miserable. But at the same time, that's the exciting part. I, look, I don't agree with the, if you don't win a championship, what's the point? It's, that, it's that's all. the dumbest thing. Then 
if that's how you feel, then what's the point of you watching sports? Just turn in for World Series or NBA Championship. If your team's not in, turn it off. Because you're not. Well, a, you and know, then, and then what's no the point. point of rivalries? And what's the point of any of it? Like, right. it, you know, no. when, 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 whether it be pro teams, college teams, whatever, like you, you get a trophy in a rivalry game or you get trash talking. Like, what? There are moments of joy in any season for any team in any sport that, you know, if, if it was just about a championship. That would just be silly. I don't know. I feel like it's a rings call. I enjoyed most. I didn't enjoy November of the last Saints season, but I enjoyed the rest of it, uh, except that, you know, game against the Dolphins whenever they had uh, 38 players out, which was, you know. Yeah. Ian Bo- but, you know, yeah. they won two before that, two after that. You're right. There were the, the, the wins last season were all really enjoyable because I wasn't expecting them. The 2017 yeah. Saints season was a blast. The 2000 season is probably my second favorite. Obviously, 09 was great. 06, 06 might be actually second or third on the list because it was surprising. Plus, it was the return from Katrina and all that stuff. And the future was really bright. Like, that's the other thing. When you have a surprise season, it doesn't always catapult into more success. But it, in a lot of cases, it does for teams. So you feel like when it ends, if it's not a championship, you're like, well, man, that was fun as hell. I can't wait to see what's next. And whenever it's championship me, or bust for a franchise, it's it's just not you know it's more stressful. You don't get to enjoy some of the the other moments as much, you know. But let me ask you this: If you enjoy the season and you get to the playoffs and you get beat thirty eight to twelve, or you enjoy the season and the Minnesota miracle happens, does the ending taint your memory of the season? Because in other words, if you get blown out and you got your your butt kicked, you got your butt kicked. But to lose the way that the season ended, does it taint your memory? Not usually, not not unless it's like okay. Not not unless it's like what the T Wolves did last night or the Falcons did in the Super Bowl. Like there are exceptions. Like if you if you get beat, you know, and look, the, the Minneapolis miracle was 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 awful. But that season was fun because you started zero and two. You'd come off three straight losing seasons. It just it it was unexpected, and the future was bright because you had all these rookies. You know, um, right. Sure. Uh, but let's say they 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 had like a you know a, I mean I'm not trying to rip on the Falcons but if you have a 25 point lead in the Super Bowl and you blow it in the second half then yes it taints it right like it, it just does I mean yeah. you in in the Falcons you know it wasn't like they were they were an unexp they were like a were they two seed that year? I think maybe the three. Like they weren't. Yeah, I mean, they, like they weren't expected to be bad that year. Is my point. So their success wasn't a huge surprise. So it wasn't like they went into it like, man, we're just playing with house money. Um, and I think in a lot of times when you when you blow those, it, the, the most of the time, Brad, the answer is yes, you can still enjoy it. But there are always exceptions, and and I think Atlanta is proof of that. You know. Uh, it's just they are. I'm not even trying to pick on the Falcons. It's just they were trending last night, and they, they had done nothing. It was just because the Timberwolves blew two 25-point leads in the same game. <laughs> it, but the Falcons were trending. Like, you can't get away from something like that. I'm and so, that. you like, honestly, yeah. I, I've heard people say, I hope, shoot, would you rather have been 7-9 like the Saints? I'm like, yes, I'll take a, a bad season over that any time now if they had gotten there and lost yeah. in the super bowl and it was a good game and it, you know they lost without yeah, blowing a giant leader lost in the playoffs yeah you can go back and enjoy it but no there are certain there are certain exceptions and most of the time though i think you can enjoy 
you get it. Like, let me ask you this as we close it out. That 2014 Rage Occasion baseball team, the expectations were high going into that season. Now, now, now having said that, now having said that, nobody was thinking, like the expectations were high, but no one's thinking when the regular season ends, they're going to be unanimous number one in all five college baseball polls. Because they were when the regular season ended. Like that wasn't, I'm just, I'm not speaking for the team or the players. I'm just saying people weren't expecting that. But once you get to that point and you're, it's like, you know, Omaha or bus, and you be one thing if you lost in Omaha to lose in the super regional to Ole Miss in game three. I remember, you know, the people crying. I remember the mood, the tone, everything. It was like, it was so heartbreaking. But now, you know, I've had a chance to talk to so many of those guys years after, and they look back so fondly at that season. They think of the heartbreak of the end, but you know, the other great parts of it. So, like, I think that team is celebrated. Like, no one celebrates the 2016 Falcons. They mock them. 2014 Cajuns, that is a heartbreaking way to end the season. But no one really, no one's like, well, you know, we didn't didn't get to Omaha, so what's the point? You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you view that one? Because I know as an alum, you you love, you know, Cajun baseball. Like, how do you look back at that? Oh, yeah. And you look back on it so fondly, but I guess for lack of a better term, it's when I hear when your parents are talking to children and they talk about losing their first love and the children, the kids are so upset and you tell them, you know, it's the hurt that makes it great because it lets you know you're alive. It, it hurt. You think about that season and you get this feeling of pride and joy and then you think about the end and you're like, ugh. But you know what? That's sports though. But you didn't, you don't, I guess, you know, it, the Saints losing in 18 hurts more than the rest of them because you feel like you were robbed. Right, right. That's, Where, oof, you know, the 17 season, it happened. It was a mistake you made. The, the Cajuns losing in 14, it hurts, but you got beat. It, it wasn't like you went out there and just walked 17 yeah. people and played yeah. like trash. Yeah. You got beat. It happens. It was somebody else's time. Your time was during the season. Your time was to host a Super Regional. Um, and to prove you weren't a fluke you know, to beat good teams. And it was your, it just, you just didn't get it done that last moment. It's going to happen. Look, I can go, you can go walking through the hall of fame, go find Greg Maddox, go find anybody you want. You'll find games where they got knocked out early in the playoff game. You just will. Some guys do, and they're great. So no, um, it doesn't change at all. I, I, I think it, 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 it if you got knocked out in the first round, like when they lost to Jackson state in the first game of the regional, that would have been different. But losing is super regional, looking back, no. It doesn't change at all. It's it's all circumstantial, but getting back sure. to our original point, outside of championship seasons, the ones that are most enjoyable are the, the unexpected ones where the team has, you know, success. And they just play yeah, when they play above themselves. Yeah. It's like and then you just, you know, it's how can you not root for? Everyone loves an underdog story. Brad Topham has been our guest. He and Jay Walker have the call. Raging Cajun baseball tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday at Georgia State. Originally, Sunday's game was scheduled for 10 a.m. Central. That's not the case anymore. It is at noon Central. So if you want to listen to it, um, it's on News Talk 96.5 KBL from Learfield. Georgia State, 5 tonight, 3 tomorrow, noon Sunday, pregame 30 minutes prior. Brad, I appreciate the time, man. Enjoy Atlanta. Tell the old dirty, um, excuse me, tell the opinionated diverse bird man I said hi, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 
right, buddy. Talk to you later. See ya. Bye. Great stuff from Top. We'll take a quick timeout, come back, get you set up for what's happening on our airwaves this weekend. And it's Drew Brees on the trade market, the broadcasting trade market. I'll tell you about that next. Don't go anywhere. It's ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Hey, this is Rich Eisen. You can hear me every day on ESPN Lafayette from noon to 3 on The Rich Eisen Show. He still hasn't given up his dream of becoming a member of the Beastie Boys. Mm, drop! Scott Prather on The Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. It does go well with a chicken. Welcome back into the show, everybody. Happy Friday. We got Raging Cajun softball on our airwaves for you. Winners of nine straight. They'll try to make it a dozen this weekend in Boone playing at App State today, tomorrow, and Sunday. Four o'clock today, one o'clock tomorrow, 11 a.m. Sunday. Pre-game begins 15 minutes prior. Ian Ozan has the call. Drew Brees. Worked his way into broadcasting last year with NBC thought he did good as an analyst in the booth. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't watch him a ton doing Notre Dame games. Maybe he was fine. But that that Raiders-Bengals game he was on, it was... If it was an audition, it wasn't great. But it's not an audition. He's already getting paid a ton of money. NBC announced earlier this week, Tariqa would join Chris Collinsworth in the Sunday night football booth, as expected. Al Michaels heading to... Thursday night football for Amazon Prime. Huge moves, right? And then you've got Tony Romo and Jim Nance on CBS. And now Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on Monday Night Football. NBC had hoped Breeze would be like the second coming of Tony Romo in the booth. It's only one year. But... Could he be somewhere else, too? Michael Strahan's Fox Sports NFL studio show, but he's also on ABC's Good Morning America. Could you see Drew cross over? John Arand of Sports Business Journal was reporting that Drew Brees could potentially be dealt to Fox or if not traded in a player sense. Do a little bit of both. Dip his toes in both. And in that case, and maybe you see him and Sean Payton together. I don't know. Payton hinted at his next job and said it's coming soon, likely in a studio. Broadcaster trades. Now that's different, but we just saw it, right? Joe Buck had a year left with ESPN. He's like, no, I want to go hang out with Troy. It's going to do it for the great Scott show. Have a great weekend, everybody. The Dan Patrick Show's next. I'll talk to you Monday. Go Pels. This is ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. This is it, Sean.